What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 247, and today we are talking about books being released on February 18th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hello. It's so nice to be back on the show. Welcome back. Yes, you are now our new uh, third week host. Yes, it's exciting. Congratulations on that. I was trying to remember, I talked to so many people. I'm just like, <laughs> when was the last time Tears was here? I don't know. But here you are, and I filled you in on everything that you needed to know. Um, you know, like I speak with a robot voice now, and, you know, we only talk about chocolate, stuff like that. All the important things that you need to know before we record the show. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So, and I've got all the books ready to talk about. I thought that I was pretty good at keeping on top of my new releases. And then I heard that I would be doing this more often. And I was like, I got to get organized, man. So <laughs> I, I think we're on our way to being pretty well organized. But I'm really excited to be here more often. That's great. Yeah, they're always like, you just wear everybody out, Liberty. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I don't really I don't have anything else to do. What do you like? What do you want from me? I just read books. It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. No, it's a pretty it's a pretty great life. Uh, everything is amazing. I had an amazing week. I got tickets to see Guns N' Roses at Fenway Park Ooh. this summer. So that was like the highlight of my week. But then I got the new David Mitchell novel. And now I don't know which I'm more excited about. Yes, I heard Just you like, oh. ex- getting all excited about that. I haven't what was his last release? Because I read The Bone Clock. The Bone Clocks, I think, was the last one. All right. So it's been a while because I was still bookselling when The Bone Clocks came out because I remember how big of a deal that was. And that was the last David Mitchell book I read. But then that was his latest book. So I don't feel quite as behind, but I have not read his entire backlist. <sighs> I have. He's amazing. It's been a while, though. I think, like, no, you know what? Slade House was his last one. Okay. Which is like a continuation of The Bone Clocks kind of sort of. Oh, then I need to read that. Yeah. Slade House was the last one. I was like, was it the last one? No. Um, the Bone Clocks was the one where a bunch of rioters were at BEA waiting to get galleys, and we were almost trampled in a mob of very angry David Mitchell fans when the two different people told two different lines to form in two different places. Oh, God. <laughs> That's, like, tantamount to rioting at BEA. Yeah. <laughs> and not the book rioting, like, bookriot.com, that fun thing, like. Like, scary rioting. Yeah, it was pretty bad. The only line I've ever seen that was bigger was for Grumpy Cat, uh, and that was it. So (laughs) that was craziness. Um, So, yeah, we're going to talk about books. I just keep saying I'm just so excited about everything going on right now, like Guns N' Roses. Like, I just keep telling everybody. It's because I sit in my office, like, most of the day and don't speak to anyone except my cats, and they really don't care that I got tickets to see Guns N' Roses. So, like, when I can speak out loud to other humans, I'm like, hey, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I'm like one of those seagulls from Finding Nemo. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. Uh, But I swear we're going to talk about books. Uh, First, we're going to hear from a sponsor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Abachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about my first pick. Listen carefully. It's one of the most incredible books of the year, and I can't believe it's here now. It's Real Life by Brandon Taylor. It'd just be funny if I was like, I can't believe real life is here now. And then just stopped. Just like, I hate real <laughs> life. I hate it. No. It's, the book is called Real Life. It's by Brandon Taylor. It's a debut novel. It's magnificent. I mean, just amazing. It's about a young black man named Wallace. He is a student at a Midwestern college. He's getting a degree in biochemistry. Uh, he's come from Alabama. And the book takes place over this like three-day summer weekend. Um, and Wallace is having some issues. Uh, his father has recently died. Uh, he's feeling increasingly distant from his friends, sort of apathetic about his work. Um, and I don't know, like, you could really call them good friends. He's often subject to microaggressions and flat-out racist statements from some of his friends, his, from his peers he works in a mostly white environment, uh, in a mostly white field. Um, and, you know, the, you see like how white allyship, uh, quickly turns when, when, you know, egos are threatened. A lot of his friends have fra fragile egos. And he's also like, he's unhappy with his work. Um, he stopped like caring about things that are going wrong. At the very beginning of the book, something has gone wrong with one of his experiments and he just really doesn't care that much. Uh, and also, uh, so over this weekend, like one of his friends who he thought was straight, uh, sort of, makes romantic overtures towards him which 
sort of complicates things for this group of friends. It's, and, and Wallace is just, ugh, you're just like listening to his internal thoughts. And Brandon Taylor is such a beautiful writer. I mean, just, it's agonizingly beautiful. So this book, like Brandon Taylor, I've been following him on Twitter, as have tons of other people. And we all have known that, you know, he was a writer and he's been working on this novel and we were all excited to hear that that it was finished. And it is even better than I, I could have possibly have imagined. I mean, it's just, if you like A Little Life, if you like Donna Tart, if, it, it, he's like that level amazing, just amazing. I'm just going to say this. I will say this and and I probably don't mean it, but I do mean it. If you only read one book this year, I know that you won't, but if you only read one book this year, I think you should read Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Like, I'm saying that I'm putting that out there because it's just jaw-droppingly amazing. Uh, so it's just, oh, I could just keep saying it's just, it's just. So I'm going to stop. It's called Real Life. It's by Brandon Taylor. That is quite the recommendation. I have also been one of his followers on Twitter for ages, it seems. So I'm really excited about that one. So good. My first pick is The Blossom and the Firefly by Sherry L. Smith. And Sherry L. Smith has written um, a good collection of YA and middle grade novels. Like, she's really kind of impressive because she hops around genres. Um, but in this book, it is set in World War II, which is actually her second World War II novel. Her first was Fly Girl, which won a bunch of awards. But this one is set in Japan. And it's about two teenagers, Hana and Taro. And Hana's kind of like the main protagonist. And she has left school because all of the schools have shut down. It's towards the end of World War II. And she's been working um, with, with for the war effort for over a year now. And so before the book starts, you learn that she had this just horrible, terrible, traumatizing experience in which she was working in the fields and the um, field that she was working in was bombed by the Americans. And so everybody took cover in a trench, including her, but one of the bombs caved in the trench where she was hiding and she was almost buried alive. And she was there for just like hours and hours before they were able to dig her out. And the woman who was in the trench with her died and it was just a very traumatic experience. So the book starts kind of just in the wake of that. And she is still processing through what has happened to her. And she sort of believes that she died in the trench and she's not really there because she just cannot connect to anything in her real life. So she also works now since the, this incident um, at a nearby airfield. And she is um, a part of a group of girls who are serving the pilots who will go on to fly kamikaze missions. Um, and these pilots are treated very well, very with lots of deference, because they are essentially giving up their life for their land. Um, so that's one point of view. The other point of view is Taro. And Taro is a very talented violinist, but he is also a pilot. And so the book begins with, Hannah's chapters taking place in the present, but Taro's begin with his birth and it kind of hops around through his young life. 
just kind of spanning the years from his birth to the day that he and Hannah finally meet at the airfield. And they have this really intense emotional connection over his beautiful ability to play the violin. So, I mean, this is a pretty bittersweet story. It's, it's very beautifully written, but it's obviously very sad, um, given what you know about the characters and what their fates are and what is going to happen to them. You can sort of guess um, where this is going to go. Um, but I just I found myself really completely absorbed in this book because it's very, um, very well written. But it's also one of those where I realized I haven't really read a lot of books about World War Two from a Japanese perspective. I like the only book that I can think of at the moment is Pachinko. But that doesn't really count because that was a Korean family living in Japan. So I really enjoyed this different perspective on history and culture, and I thought it was really, really well written. Um, you know, to my knowledge, the author, Sherry L. Smith, is um, Black and not Jap- Japanese, but her author note and her acknowledgments revealed that she just did a ton of research, um, like years and years of research, including traveling to Japan to talk to people who lived through World War II. Um, so it seems like this very carefully written, very well-researched book. So that is The Blossom and the Firefly by Sherry L. Smith. Okay, my next pick is The Adventurer's Son by Roman Dial. This is one of those tragic adventure memoirs like Into the Wild or Savage Harvest, which is not a memoir, but it's a story um, about getting lost in the wilderness or or like Lost City of Z. It is the true story of the author's son who went off into the um, untracked rainforest in Costa Rica and did not return. Uh, Roman Dial himself is a very famous adventurer daredevil teacher when he was young um he spent summers in alaska and grew to love love the state and moved there went to school there made a life there got married he had two children cody roman and jazz and he used to do like alpine climbing where he climbed just you you read this stuff about him um going up the side of cliffs in sheer ice and like places where you know you most likely will fall in and die and, you know, just, like, doing it anyway and just like, oh, my goodness, this I'm so glad I'm sitting in my house right now. Um, but when he was younger, he took a lot of risks like that, doing that kind of climbing. And then he became a dad and he realized, you know, and, and even before he was a dad, he's like, this is kind of sketchy and I'm going to stop doing that. So then he started um, going on treks, like, in uh, Central America and just traveling all around the world and, and um, became very famous. They spent, like, when he, he had... Uh, been married a little while his children were young they drove around australia in a car for like a few months i mean just looking at all the critters and like it's funny because when you see little kids perhaps you yourself when you were little you'd be running around outside and you'd be like mom mom look at this praying mantis whereas his kids are like mom mom look at this giant millipede that's five feet long can i pick it up and hold it on my shoulders it's just like oh my goodness like those kind of creatures like his children shared this love of the outdoors and the love of nature uh like he and his wife did and he was very proud of that he taught them to be respectful he taught them to be safe you know he talks about like going on these hikes with his kids and then realizing like what there are six and eight and like what if something happened to me we're out in the middle of nowhere with no one around you know like like learning to be responsible and teaching them to be responsible. So his son especially grows up with this appreciation for the outdoors and going on these adventures. And when Cody Roman is 27, he goes to Central America 
and he communicates with his dad. His phone is stolen, but he gets a chance to like send him emails and he tells him like what he's been doing, where he's going. The um, people have things such called outdates, where like if you're going on a solo trek or even you know with with a partner, you give someone your outdate. So like if you don't hear from that person by their outdate, you send in. The cavalry. You send in, you know, everybody to go looking for them because they did not make it back. Um, so he gets his son is on this this trip in Costa Rica, and he gets uh, an email from him saying, and the last thing it says is, "I'm planning on doing four days in the jungle. It should be difficult uh, to get lost forever." And that's the last thing that he hears from his son, and and he doesn't meet his outdate. And uh, Roman Dial ends up going down to Costa Rica to look for his son, and he spends two years searching for him trying to find out what happened to him. The local authorities think that something you know nefarious has befallen him. Um, he interviews the locals because when Cody Roman went around, he spent a lot of time talking to the people that he met and other hikers. And I mean, and he was like, he went into untracked rainforest. I mean, this is like, you know, he talks about like cougars, you know, walking out in front of him and, you know, snakes that are like 10 feet long that you know, will kill you in a second if they bite you and stuff like that. So, I mean, he and he's doing this on his own. Um, and so his father went down there to find out what happened to him. Uh, and it's like, it's, he's he's worried that it's his fault. You know, he feels a sense of, of responsibility for what happened to his son because he taught him to love adventure and to love the outdoors. And now he has lost his son to it. Um, and so it's a really powerful story of exploration and loss, um, and the the descriptions are, are very, very beautiful, um, and, you know, it's just a great memoir just about, you know, parents and children in general. I would, I will say um, there are a few generalizations made about Central American countries uh, in both Cody's um, letters and a couple of things that Roman Dial himself says, like things that are repeated to him, you know, about how these are you know, definitely third world countries and they're dirty and they're full of crime and drug dealers and, and all that stuff. And, and so it's important to take into account that these are their experiences and the things that they are thinking and they are not the blanket truth for, for what happens. Because as we know, these are amazing places and, you know, full of all kinds of wonderful things. And those kind of things can be said about any country. Um, so aside from that, it is amazing. It is The Adventurer's Son and it is by Roman Dial. All right. So my second pick is The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. And so this is a really good family sort of dual timeline mystery set at a rundown motel. And this motel has like such a creepy atmosphere. Like I, I was shivering. Um, I, it'll be um, very difficult for me to like stay at a motel in the future without thinking about this book. So in the first um, timeline, it's 1982 and Viv is like 18 and she leaves home and she is going to set out to New York city. She doesn't really know what she's going to do there, but she just knows that she can't stay in her hometown anymore. And she doesn't quite make it. Instead, she ends up in this small town in upstate New York, and she gets this job at the Sundown Motel working as the night clerk. And her life isn't really too bad at first. Um, she, there's, you know, just kind of some low-key um, 
drama, but she finds a job. She finds an apartment. She finds a roommate. She's pretty happy there. She figures it's a great place to just kind of lie low and figure out what she wants to do next. But then some weird semi-ghostly things begin happening at the motel. And she makes the connection that this town has a lot of missing and dead women And their cases were never really solved. So being in this unique position of night clerk, she sees a lot of things and she begins investigating. And over the course of her investigation, she starts making some connections and sort of getting into hot water. So then in 2017, Viv's niece Carly arrives in town and she takes a job at the same motel. And here's the catch. She wants to solve her aunt's missing persons case because Viv disappeared and Kate Carly's never met her. So Carly very quickly sort of falls into the same lifestyle routine as Viv and is kind of getting the same ghostly echoes. So I, this book was really interesting because... It unfolds with Viv's timeline investigating these missing women. And then Carly's also investigating missing Viv and what Viv was doing, which you would almost think was like, okay, one character's investing one thing and the character, other characters investing the character doing the investigating. Like, is this going to go into circles? But it has a really interesting way of kind of playing off of each other. And um, there's just a lot of really good tension here. So I am just really enjoyed this because it's a very character-driven mystery. It has a really good, strong sense of setting. Um, I love that in a mystery. And I was not expecting the sort of supernatural twist, but it was well done and I liked it. So it's a great pick if you're looking for like a really good, fast-paced mystery. Uh, And that is The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. Okay. I have a mystery as well. There's usually a mystery every week. There's lots of good mysteries coming out, which makes me happy. Although when I watch mysteries, like when I watch TV with my boyfriend, who still watches TV with me after all this time, I have no idea why. (laughs) I usually am like, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And he's like, ugh, why do you even bother doing this? I'm like, I don't know. Because <laughs> I get to spend time with him. Um, so my next book is a mystery. It's called The Holdout. It is by Graham Moore, who wrote one of my favorite mysteries, The Sherlockian, as well as Last Days of Night, which is about Thomas Edison and how he's kind of a wanker. Uh, <laughs> and this one is a, a contemporary mystery. Uh, it's about... A trial that is taking place. It's a legal thriller. Uh, Bobby Nock is a black teacher at a private school accused of killing one of his students, a white 15-year-old heiress to a billion-dollar fortune. She has disappeared, uh, and now they're bringing They think he's done it. They, they're bringing him to trial. Uh, everyone thinks that he is guilty, except one of the women on the jury, uh, Maya, thinks he's not guilty at all and is so convincing that she convinces the rest of the jury to... Uh, to give him a not guilty verdict. And that's what happens. And now, 10 years later, there is a true crime uh, show doing an expose on the the trial. And there's a 10-year reunion of the jurors in the hotel where they were originally sequestered when the trial was going on. And, oh, one of them is murdered in Maya's room. So now she is the prime suspect in the murder of this juror. And we're still wondering, what happened to Jessica, because she disappeared. Uh, who is the killer of this juror? 
And, you know, what, like, how is this going to, to play out? There's some twists. Um, there's a lot about justice and how justice is not really justice. Like, do you make decisions? Like, like is it uh, realistic to imagine that jurors don't make decisions based on, you know, race or, you know, sexuality or um, religion? You know, they're not supposed to, but does that does that really occur? Is it reasonable to think that that never happens? Um, it takes place in multiple points of view. And like I said, there's some twists. And I really, really, really enjoyed it. It's The Holdout. And it's by Graham Moore, who has seen me cry, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember he won an Oscar for The Imitation Game? He wrote the screenplay for that. And he gave that speech about how, you know, stay weird. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. that. Yes, I do. Yeah. And uh, when he was at BEA... He, a few years ago, he was signing Galleys of Last Days of Night, and I was like, would you write Say Weird in mine, please? That was such <laughs> a great speech. Yeah. I'm a, a lot of fun at BEA. When I'm not getting trampled, I'm crying in front of authors. Um, so we are going to hear about our next sponsor. And Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Now we are going to hear about your next pick. Yes. So my next pick is Of Curses and Kisses by Cynthia Menon. And I'm really excited about this book because if you recognize Cynthia Menon's name at all, she is known for writing like really fun YA rom-coms that are inspired by like classic um, rom-coms, which just like delights me and makes me laugh because her titles are so punny and smart and they're um 
you know, they're based off of like famous movie rom-coms, like her first one, When Diplomat Rishi is obviously, When Harry Met Sally, um, so on, etc., so forth. But this is a new um, book, and it is the first book in a new series, too. And it is a series of fairy tale retellings set in a fictional boarding school for like the ultra rich and elite. And this book in particular is a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. So um, the school is St. Rosetta's Academy and it's in the mountains of um, Colorado near Aspen. And so in this first book, um, the main character is Jaya, and she is an Indian princess. So even though India is a democracy, she's descended from this monarchy that ruled in southern India. So they still have a lot of um, you know, social standing. And so her love interest, a.k.a. the Beast character, is a um, young man by the name of Gray Emerson. And the Emersons are British aristocrats who have been mortal enemies of Jaya's family going back generations. Because, you know, years and years and years ago, the Emersons stole a jewel that was sacred to Jaya's family during British colonization. And then they refused to give it back. Um, so that's not cool. And Jaya's ancestor actually cursed the Emersons. And so um, they've just been in this like horrific feud ever since. So we find out early on that although Jaya doesn't really believe in the curse, she hates the Emersons, like her family. And most recently, they have publicly humiliated her little sister in just like the worst way possible. And she is like out for revenge. So her idea for revenge is to go to St. Rosetta's Academy where Gray Emerson is enrolled and she's going to make him fall for her and then she's going to break his heart. Um, But of course that doesn't go as planned at all. So this is a really fun romance. Um, It has a lot of like little sneaky nods to the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. If that is something you love, I have a lot of childhood nostalgia over that. Um, but in its own way, it's also like very much its own retelling. Um, I love the diverse twist on it. Um, I also love how like very early on in the book, um, Menon does a really good job of explaining like why colonization was so bad and really contextualizing this like feud between the two families. I thought it was really well done. Um, her books are also usually dual point of view. And this one is no exception. So I always enjoy in romance novels when you get to be inside both characters' heads as they fall for each other. It's a lot of fun. Um, And that is exactly what this is. So it is, as we're recording this, almost Valentine's Day. So definitely a very good book to be reading this week or the week after Valentine's Day. Um, And that is Of Curses and Kisses by Cynthia Menon. Do you know, I just found out last night that there was another beauty and the beast show like come and gone like years ago now had no idea really i did not know this okay i feel much better now yeah i like i've been watching bones i don't know if you've ever seen this but yes it's it's pretty ridiculous and i'm in i've just started the seventh season and there's still it's it's got 12 seasons so there's a lot more to go and it's like how many more stories can you like make up for this i don't know but it's doing it's what it's it's serving its purpose like i need something in the background that i can kind of look at and go oh gross oh kissing oh more gross more gross kissing um and so i like to look up like actors and like play that game with myself it's like what is the most random place that i know that this character actor from 
And I was looking one up last night, and it was like, they were on Beauty and the Beast. And I was like, I watched Beauty and the Beast. They're not old enough to have been on Beauty and the Beast. Because I was thinking of, like, the Linda Hamilton show in, like, 1987. And I was like, no, no, it was the new one. And I was like, what is going on? I appreciate how everyone just listens to me babble on about all kinds of things that are not book-related. Like I said, I spend a lot of time talking out loud to the cats. Uh, so, but I'm glad, too, that you don't know it either. That makes me feel a little bit better. No. I'm going to go look it up after this, though. <laughs> yeah. It was on from, like, 2012 to 2016. Oh. No idea. Wait, was it a CW show? I think so. Okay. I think Possibly. I do remember this. I remember it vaguely. No, don't. No, no take backs. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Like you, you started talking, and I was like, "Wait a second. It was like rattling loose some some memories, but yeah, okay. Oh. All right, fine. I'm just old. <laughs> All right. So my last pick, um, I did have one book that I was going to read for the show uh, to talk about, and I didn't enjoy it. So instead, I'm going to talk about the Watchmaker of Filigree Street, which came out a few years ago. However, the sequel comes out today which is called The Lost Future of Pepper Harrow. They are by Natasha Pulley. And I love The Watchmaker of Filigree Street. I know I talked about it on the show when it came out. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it today so you can pick it up if you haven't read it or if you want to reread it or if you've never heard of it. Uh, it's set in 1883. There is a telegraphist from the home office named Thaniel Steepleton. And he goes home one day, and there is an unusual watch laying on his pillow. He doesn't know where it came from, but he holds on to it. And six months later, saves his life, like watches do. You know, if you get a police watch, I think that's what they use them for. No, watches don't save your life. Not normally, but this one does. Uh, when Scotland Yard blows up, somebody blows up Scotland Yard, and Daniel is saved by this watch, which is very unusual. So he goes in search of the watch's maker to find out just what is going on, because it's very strange. It's a steampunky, Sherlock Holmesy kind of story uh, in Victorian England, and it's an epic nerd purr, so if you like steampunk, if you like mysteries, if you like cool stuff, uh, I have not read the sequel. I've started it, uh, Story of My Life, um, and it's fantastic. I love Natasha Pulley. Uh, I cannot think of the book that she wrote a couple years ago, but I also love that. Not a watchmaker book, but still wonderful. Um, and this one is The Watchmaker of Filigree Street. Sequel is The Lost Future of Pepper Harrow, out today, and they are by Natasha Pulley. All right. So my final pick is another mystery. Um, there's just a lot of mysteries on the show today, but that's not a bad thing. Um, my book is Death in the Family by Tessa Wagert. And so if you are into mysteries that are a little bit more procedural, then this is a pick for you. Um, which is, you know, it's interesting because I feel like I saw in more than one place that this book was compared to Knives Out, which I finally just saw and I thought it was amazing. However, I don't see such a strong connection with this book. So if you see that, um, just, you know, be aware. Um, because basically the only similarity between this book and Knives Out is that you've got this beautiful old house and um, a family and there's a murder or a supposed murder. You don't know at the very beginning. Um, but basically, this beautiful old house is on an island in upstate New York in like the boundary waters between the US and Canada. And it's a private island. It's only reachable by boat. And it's a big, rich family who has this house there. And they're the only ones on the island. And one day they wake up 
and one of their own is missing and his bed is soaked with blood, Um, which is kind of creepy because his girlfriend, like, spent the entire night sleeping right next to him. So she wakes up in this, like, blood-soaked bed, which is very traumatizing, I can imagine. So they immediately jump to the conclusion that it's been a murder, even though they can't find a body anywhere. And so that's when the small town cops, Tim and Shana, are called out. So Shana is the narrator, and she's the main character of this book. And she has a bit of a past. She was a New York City cop, and she had this really, really bad case a year earlier um, that left her rather traumatized. And so she has since retreated to small town life and small town policing. And when she arrives on scene, she's immediately suspicious about this whole case, even though her partner is like, "Yeah, the guy's probably missing. I don't know if we can find him. Like, it's no good. But, you know, murder, come on. Murders don't happen around here. And so the novel really unfolds as Shana interviews each member of the family and their guests. And you get to like these little flashbacks to the day before when everybody was arriving on the island. And with each interview, the case grows more and more convoluted as it becomes obvious that like pretty much everybody had some kind of motive for getting rid of this one family member. Um, But finding him is also getting more and more difficult because backup doesn't arrive. Bad weather rolls in because, of course, of course, bad weather. Yeah. Like there's a murder or supposed murder or any sort of crime on an island. Like it's going to happen and backup won't arrive. So I found this book to be really readable. It had like really good tension. I was easily sucked in. Um, I liked the atmosphere. I do admit I am a sucker for, you know, the snowed in or the, um, you know, island cut off from the rest of society kind of mysteries really ups the tension and the stakes a lot. Um, And I found Shana um, Merchant, the uh, protagonist of this book pretty interesting and actually on the cover it says a Shana Merchant novel so this is the first book I imagine that there will be some more following um, so that's good if you like a really good procedural protagonist to follow so that is Death in the Family by Tessa Wagert okay uh, what do we got now that was new books and what are you going to read next well, I just picked up um, Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey nice. from the library. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. I'm trying to do this whole thing where I don't buy a lot of books this year, which is... What? I know. It's really, really ridiculous. And it's also doomed to fail. So I was <laughs> like, I'm going to get this from the library. And of course, it like took... I, I was going to say it took forever. The book only came out like a week and a half ago. But it seemed like forever. So I'm really excited to dive into that this weekend. That's so good. And it'll take you a hot minute. It's like, you know, 100 pages or 120 pages or something. You know, yeah. Sarah Gailey's books, they're, they are always too short for me like i i want them to write good thick long books but you know if this isn't their real house i'm i'm okay with it just all the books yeah but they make up for it because they have three books coming out this year i know right yeah so it does balance out i guess (laughs) yeah the book i am reading which i mentioned at the top of the show is an enormous book it's 600 pages it is utopia avenue the new david mitchell which comes out on june 2nd uh i don't feel that bad for talking about it like way before it comes out, because I'm so excited about it. Uh, and it's about a British band. Um, he does that thing where, sort of like Danny Boyle, where he does like like the book in this genre and then that genre. And this is this one is about 
a the sort of psychedelic 60s rock band called Utopia Avenue and like their uh life in the 60s. Um so I just love everything that he does. And I'm also reading um Queen album by album by Martin Popoff speaking of British bands which is just a an a close read or I guess a close read of their records which sounds strange to say um but just sort of like dissecting their records. Uh, so I'm just immersed in British bands real and fake right now. So Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, thank you for putting up with my babbling today. I feel like it's worse than usual today. I don't know. It's, I haven't been sleeping again, so maybe that's it. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. You can drop us a line at allthebooks@bookriot.com if you want to let us know something, if you want to tell us about watching the new Beauty and the Beast, whatever you want to say. You can find us online. Uh, Tirza is on Twitter at Tirza Price, that's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. I hang out on Instagram most days at Friends and Comes Alive. And you can go to Apple Podcasts if you want to give us a treat and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Thank you.